0: Welcome to the Fintech One-on-One Podcast. This is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Fintech Nexus. I've been doing these shows since 2013, which makes this the longest-running one-on-one interview show in all of Fintech. Thank you for joining me on this journey. If you like this podcast, you should check out our sister shows, Pitch It, the Fintech Startups Podcast with Todd Anderson, and Fintech Coffee Break with Isabel Castro or you can listen to everything we produce by subscribing to the Fintech Nexus podcast channel. Before we get started, I want to talk about our flagship event, Fintech Nexus USA, happening in New York City on May 10th and 11th. The world of finance continues to change at a rapid pace, But we will be separating the wheat from the chaff, covering only the most important topics for you over two action-packed days. More than 10,000 one-on-one meetings will take place, and the biggest names in fintech will be on our keynote stage. You know you need to be there, so go ahead and register at fintechnexus.com and use the discount code PODCAST for 15% off. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Roy Ng. He is the CEO and co-founder of Bond. Now, Bond is in the very hot embedded finance space, and we talk about why embedded finance has become so popular. Uh, We also discuss the different products that they're offering today. They're focused on two credit products, two different credit products. We talk about how their embedded finance solution works, the steps involved um, in implementation. We talk about the back end and uh, the bank partners that they work with. We also discuss a new venture he has with Adam Newman's latest uh, company, Flow. He was the former, the founder of WeWork. He now has a, a company based in the real estate space. So Bond is partnering with Flow. We talk a little bit about what that's all about. We talk about the future plans to move beyond credit, and Roy provides his perspective on where Embedded Finance is going. It was a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Roy.
1: Glad to be here, Peter. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. So let's get started by delving into your background. You've you've had some pretty interesting uh, positions in your career, and you're also an investor, it looks like according to your LinkedIn profile. So can you just hit on some of the, the highlights of your background to date?
1: Moved to the United States when I was 10 from Hong Kong and um, knew that I always wanted to kind of get into something in the financial services space. And so first job out of college, uh, I was with Goldman Sachs and the investment banking team. Uh, worked with high growth technology companies, not only in the US, but in Asia and in Europe. And, um, you know, really enjoyed that. And I ended up actually joining one of my clients, which is a high growth company, HR software company called Success Factors. Never turned back, love helping build companies and you know scaling them out, working with customers. And um, my first company was acquired by SAP, stayed on for a little bit to help with post merger integration, helping them set up the cloud software business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was then recruited to a platform, a developer platform called Twilio. Uh, back then, this was a you know, very early company, um, you know, focused on communication. So really unlock the potential for software developers to incorporate communications inside their application. So be it sending text SMS messages or, or making fo- phone calls programmatically. So it's the first time where software people can get the hands on the building blocks of communications Mm -hmm. i was their first coo and joined to basically scale out the commercial functions Mm -hmm. and fast forward a couple years we took the company public and it really kind of the the big learning for me there was that the power of software and developers being able to kind of transform you know, historical industries that have not been software enabled, so to speak. Right, right. I went on to join another company called Mapbox, which focused on location and mapping. But all of this really led to the founding of Bond. This is when I met Yan Wu, my co-founder, who headed up data science at SoFi. Mm. And along the way, he was there when they introduced a number of different products. And they realized, wow, like the software developers needed to kind of rebuild this infrastructure for every product and it was very time consuming it was expensive and a lot of the resources was spent actually building the plumbing less on the actual user experience which is you know generally the competitive advantage of fintechs Mm -hmm. and so you know we decided to start the company in 2019 and basically build a developer first approach to building financial services and we are one platform that allows you to build a plethora of different financial services product i'll talk a little bit about where we're focused on now and the lessons there, but, you know, we uh, support a variety of customers, B2B, B2C in different industries. And so really uh, look forward to having this conversation.
0: Sure. Okay. Well, let's, let's get right into it. Before we talk about bond, I want to sort of take a step back and talk about embedded finance, because that's really, you know, what you've just described here. And it's become a hot trend the last few years. It keeps getting hotter, it feels
1: like. But before we go any further, how do you define embedded finance? Yeah, embedded finance is such a broad term, frankly, right? I mean, if you think about the folks like Adyen and Stripe on the merchant acquiring side to folks like uh, Bond that's on the issuing side, the whole concept of embedded finance is that you're able to incorporate a financial services solution as part of something else, a software flow or some sort of activity you're doing and so you know the reality is embedded finance has been in with us for a very long time i mean from the earliest co-brand cards right that's embedding some sort of financial product as part of you know buying from a department store for example right but the experience has always been very disconnected right like if you do a co-brand you sign up on the application the underlying bank is the one that you're kind of filling the applications to and so like the brand experience is there's a little bit of a disconnect between the brand experience and your experience basically applying and you know and your ongoing relationship with that financial product right what banking and service platforms like bond does is basically enable these capabilities to be embedded deeply inside the software that you actually use And so, you know, I always use kind of the example of Apple Card, where when you sign up for an Apple Card, the experience is uniquely Apple. It is not a Goldman Sachs experience per se. If you look at their their underlying bank that supports that program is really Goldman Sachs, but it's really kind of how Apple expects their users to kind of go through that experience. And, you know, even the app app that basically continues to support the Apple Card, that's a uniquely Apple experience. And so, you know, it's all about the experience being coherent that like you can embed financial services product, but if it's jagged, it causes a disconnect with the user, right? A a lot of times the user is opting to use that embedded financial product because there's that brand loyalty upfront from that particular brand. And so if you redirect them to a different application form that like sounds completely not like you and that's not the experience they want, that is from my perspective, not truly embedded. I think truly embedded means that the UI UX is consistent across that experience you know, from buying the car to actually financing car it's kind of one experience. And a lot of this can be achieved through software because you could build software that kind of bridge these various elements together into one coherent experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Got it. So then you launched your company and you decided to focus on credit. Obviously, there's lots of different types of financial products. Credit's one of the big ones. Why did you decide to focus there as your first, I mean, you've got two different core products that both focused on credit?
1: Great question. Uh, we actually did not start the company focused on credit. When we started in 2019, we were building a very horizontal platform mm-hmm. that did credit, it did debit, it did consumer, it did commercial. And the idea there was, hey, look, we're, we're going to build a bunch of building blocks, Lego blocks, so that you could kind of build quote unquote whatever you like. And we basically you know, map you to a sponsor bank that could support that program. As we continue to build the business and engage with customers, we realized that there are so many flavors of products that you could build that it was not a sustainable approach to be so broad and be so open to whatever construct someone wants to build. And so we went back a little bit to the drawing board and say, where are our customers needing a product and why do they need that product? And so we first look at the consumer side and then we then looked at the commercial side. On the consumer side, what we saw was a lot of neobanks in particular are consumer facing fintechs needing to add more value to the end users. The first wave of fintechs focused on debit and bank accounts. And while that was very useful, especially for those who are historically underbanked, you know, the value it brings to the to the users is pretty limited. And frankly, that product is pretty commoditized. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these neobanks and fintechs are figuring what value can I bring to them incremental differentiated value. And one of the key things that they want to do was really help them build credit. Because for that population, you know, building credit is a pathway towards financial health. You know, according to experience, there are 150 million financially at-risk people in the U.S. And a full third of U.S. consumers actually have subprime credit scores, which is 580 to 669. And so the market is not small, even in the U.S. And so, as you know, a lot of fintech started because they want to help this like large population that historically were un- underbanked or unbanked. And so having a product that allows you to help them build credit was going to be very powerful. So, we decide on the consumer side to focus on what we call the consumer secured credit card. So, this is a credit card that doesn't require a credit check. It allows you, as the consumer, let's say Peter puts in $1,000 in the security deposit account, you're immediately granted $1,000 of credit limit. Obviously, you have to go through KYC and the sign up process, but you don't need to go through a credit check. And that's a game changer for people who historically have not been able to access a credit card. And, you know, for the consumer as they're paying their monthly uh, payments, we are reporting that back to the credit bureaus. And so they're actually building credit along the way. So not only are you now able to kind of use a credit card, but now you're able to build credit along the way. And this is a, this is a pretty big thing. You know, one thing, you know, I mentioned about my background is coming in as an immigrant when I was 10, and I still remember you know, we lived in Hong Kong, I moved over and it was just my mom and myself. Initially, it was pretty hard to get credit. We can qualify for any credit cards when we first moved to the States. I still remember one of our relatives said, hey, go to a department store and open uh, a card. This was a Sears card. My mom opened the Sears card to buy our refrigerator and things like that. And that's how we actually started building credit. So building credit is um. For many of us who already have credit, I think it, it seems like a foregone conclusion. But for a big part of you know US consumers, building credit is pretty hard. So I think this product has been well received, I think, in the market on the consumer side. It also kind of contrasts to, you know, the typical unsecured credit card where you have to obviously go through a credit application process. And there is, you know, especially for that demographics, you know, the decline rate can be pretty high depending on who you're targeting. And so you know, this particular product provides good economics for our brands, our customers, as well as a good value prop for the users. On the commercial side, we have a um, commercial and secure charge card, which is also very in demand because a lot of software as a service companies, SaaS companies are looking to embed B2B payments with cards. Um, We have customers that are using it as an expense management tool. So using the virtual charge card as a way of basically controlling the spend, we have folks that are launching a Brex competitor for a particular like narrow vertical. And so both on the B2B side and B2C side, we decide focus on credit partially because of market demand. But we didn't start off with kind of that focus. It was through learning from the market and what they needed that we decided to focus on these two areas.
0: They're are two obviously pretty separate areas, you've got a commercial and a consumer offering. So then maybe for each one, and you touched on it with the commercial, one. I mean, let's start on with the consumer one and talk about who is the target market for bond i mean are you mainly going after fintech companies who want to offer credit and i could also see you know some of the brands and other like you know software platforms potentially wanting to offer this who are you who are you going after
1: it's actually pretty broad we we do work with a number of neobanks and fintechs that have a consumer facing angle addressing a population that is less addressed through the kind of mainstream banking uh, market but we also work with kind of large finance companies so for example we're in uh, late stage discussions with one of the largest uh, college student loan uh, providers in the united states obviously they're providing student loans but what they realize is their target demographic also needs to build credit so i wish like when i was in college someone told me credit was really important for you to start building And so what they're looking to do is start upselling a credit builder card construct into the segment that where they're issuing the college loans. And so what they can do then is responsibly build credit like during their time in college so that by the time they graduate, they will have a head start on the credit score, and it could help you lease a car, rent an apartment, things like that. We have a customer that is approaching a similar demographic, but in a different way. So this customer focuses on Division I college athletes. So the idea here is that because there's quite a lot of disbursements across different teams, whether you play football, volleyball, whatever it is, coaches generally have to disburse funds to the players once they're going out you know, for games and things like that. And so the first part is to really kind of consolidate that into a piece of software so that the funds can be dispersed via the app and then via the app you can actually spend versus kind of you know literally right now, coaches come with envelopes with cash and pass out cash to the players, right? That that doesn't make That's sense. That's crazy. And so on top of it right now, what they're doing is putting some of their scholarship monies, things like that, so that you basically spend through this platform. And the card mechanism they're using is also our credit builder cards so that these division one college athletes can actually build credit as they're spending. Spending from you know away game kind of stipends or also spending from the the money that they get from scholarships and things like that. And so as they spend, they're building a credit history. And obviously, you know credit is dependent on obviously on time payments, but length of like your credit history. And so getting a head start again is very important. And so for schools why is this important? Why do they support these coaches? Because the schools also want to recruit these athletes. Mm-hmm. And how this the coaches in these schools are now pitching these parents of these potential Division One college athletes is not only will I help your child excel and give them a platform to win in that particular sport, but we will also help you help your child build a solid foundation financially as we have this kind of product and solution that helps the student-athlete Progress through the years in, in school, uh, being an athlete. So you could kind of see how on the consumer side, you could kind of cut it pretty different ways. And I think, you know, one thing about platform, just like my time at Twilio and, and Mapbox is that you, you always see innovators kind of trying to address the market in a very unique way. We're the infrastructure that allows you to do that. But the angle in which you approach the market is could be really, really unique. Right.
0: So then I want to dig in a little bit if we could. Let's just assume there's the fintech company listening or any kind of company listening that says, okay, this sounds great. I want to, I want to start a secured credit card program. Can you take us through the steps? What's involved from the time they first kind of you know, decide to move ahead with you guys till the time they can actually offer
1: this card? What are the steps? How long does it take? Tell us about that process. So when they first approach us, one thing that we do pretty uniquely is that we are very transparent about what the funds flow should look like. So we have already agreed with our sponsor bank partners and we've kind of structured our APIs in such a way that it enables a certain funds flow for that particular product. So in the case of the consumer secure credit card, there's a There's a defined funds flow. So we want to really align with that customer on this is indeed your funds flow. And once that high level blueprint is agreed, we then obviously commercial terms, things like that, we sign an agreement and within a week we generally kick off. And so we have a customer uh, operations team that work with the customer. One of the, the two long poles we found in all of our customers that, you know, want to kind of launch a product quickly is one due diligence we need to do diligence on the company itself, such that we, we could satisfy the bank's requirements. And so we have a list of things that the customer needs to provide to us. Second is actually to the extent there is a card associated with the card design. And what we find sometimes is customers kind of take quite a while back and forth on the design itself. And so, you know, that becomes a long pole because the car manufacturing process, as you may know, can take quite a while. And so we try to get those two things done upfront very, very quickly and get aligned. In fact, the API and the engineering integration actually for a team that's well staffed and they have a sense of what their user experience needs to look like is actually fairly quick. You could do that. You know, we've seen it like integrated in as quick as like three weeks. Mm -hmm. And so if you know what your flow needs to be, if you know like this is where you're gonna display the disclosure, this is where you're gonna charge them the fee. If you know all of that, actually doesn't take that long. I think where you know some of these program the implementation gets longer is when you know the client is kind of iterating as we go along, and so that that tends to extend out the time frame. So we generally quote our customers about 90 days to go live. Um, this is kind of short, long end, but generally 90 days to go live. And once you go live, you have a test card, you can start testing things and, you know, then launching the program itself. So that's roughly kind of how we work with our customers. I think what we pride ourselves in is not just like, you know, hey, here are a bunch of APIs. Go figure it out yourself. We tend to be a little bit more bespoke. We guide you through it. We have a lot, a lot of uh, documentation. So our customers can kind of look at the rich set of documentation and figure some stuff themselves. But our customer operations teams also stands ready to also answer questions as they're building. Right, right. And you mentioned it a couple
0: of times that a critical part of this process is the partner bank. You have to have a partner bank if you're issuing the, this type of product. So tell us about how that relationship works. And does, does everybody have the same partner bank? Do you spread
1: it around? How does that work? Yeah, so let me start. We're, we're bank agnostic. So we built our platform from day one to be bank agnostic technology agnostic so we work with a variety of technology vendors we work with several different banks and so our platform is built such that if we want to connect to another bank it's not difficult because we have gateways built out for specifically for each bank same thing with with technology vendors for example we have various kyc vendors underneath the hood we use lexus we use persona a number of others and so depending on kind of the product construct we use the underlying kind of technology that fits that product construct from an engineer or builder product person perspective you're still using the bond api so if the api is for kyc you're still using the bond kyc api and you don't need to change anything even though the underlying capabilities may be different because um we're partnered uh with different folks so first of all on the bank side you know, we're agnostic. We have uh, three partner relationships, uh, three bank partner relationships, two of which is where we put our kind of brands currently. And so the relationship is such that when we engage with a brand, we do diligence on our own. We know what the criteria is from our sponsor bank. So we we sift through uh, whether we believe they meet the requirements. And the first thing we do before they even start implementation is to start the diligence process. And so we submit diligence to our bank partners. We have a working relationship with them where they review the brands that we bring to them. We're, we're called aggregators to them. So we aggregate demand and we basically sh- share with them, Hey, here are some interesting brands that we're working with right now and giving them kind of, Hey, this is the product that they want to offer via the bank platform. Here's what they're actually doing. Uh, here's the construct, you know, we get the diligence generally they have a preliminary approval upfront so it allows them to continue build and before they actually launch the product they actually do a screen by screen review of the product that they end up building under our guidance so we give our customers also a set of um you know disclosures that we need them to provide within their app all of that is provided and once they're ready to launch we do a final review with the bank and we launch the program right okay interesting Interesting. So switching gears, I want to talk
0: a little bit about this partnership that I read about a few weeks back and that you're working with Adam Newman of WeWork uh, fame. And now he's got a new venture, Flow, based on real estate. Uh, It's got got a lot of press uh, when uh, Andreessen backed him for hundreds of millions of dollars. You're working with flow. Um, and I, I read you're creating a digital wallet. So this doesn't sound like the exact same thing you've been talking about here. What can you tell us about that partnership?
1: A lot of this is um, going to be announced as, as we like roll out. Um, we're targeting first quarter of this year to have some of these products out. But the idea here is Adam started this company um, to basically create a community around multifamily housing. And so just like, you know, with WeWork, you have a network of offices that, you know, companies can leverage and their employees can leverage. Here is basically a network of communities that, you know, people can choose to live in. You know, what we're providing to them is FinTech capabilities. The FinTech capabilities include the ability to pay their rent, their HOA, fees, but we also have a card program that allows them to basically take that flow brand outside of their community. Obviously the card program can work within kind of the various communities, but also allows them to expand beyond it. Because in the end, flow idea of flow is really around the lifestyle. The people who live in the flow property, there's a certain lifestyle, there's certain expectations. And so, you know, the fintech capabilities will basically augment and create that like loyalty and create that, you know, stickiness around the community. So you know, the we are really excited about working with them. They have I think about 3000 apartments in the initial phase and obviously beyond kind of the initial set of properties, working with property developers to kind of have that software layer embedded. Obviously, we are one part of like the whole thing, right? There are other software enabled things that you can imagine, just like when you go to a WeWork office, right, being able to access um, the building, being able to you know, monitor uh, who's coming in to visit you packages, things like that as part of like the software platform, but we provide the FinTech component for Flow.
0: Interesting. So
1: that kind of leads me
0: into my next question, which is you obviously have the, the credit products, the two different credit products we've talked about. And you said yourself, you started off with having, you know, trying to build for many different capabilities. Is there um, specific areas that you want to get into next? I mean, Embedded finance can work in a myriad of different ways within financial services.
1: You're, you're spot on. And you know, another lesson learned, I think, in the embedded finance or banking as a service basis, you got to stay focused. Mm-hmm. You got to stay focused on a few key product constructs, as I call them, right? So we have our commercial one. We have our consumer one. We want to basically stay pretty aligned to those constructs, at least for the next year or so. There are some additional capabilities within each construct that we want to continue to invest in. So those constructs become kind of best in class in the market. I believe we're already best in class in the market because we have live customers on both of these constructs and that's something unique to our platform. And so you know, we are going to continue to invest capabilities. That said, it doesn't mean that Bond as a platform only does consumer secure credit cards and commercial charge cards. Over time we will continue to invest in next uh, product constructs that we know customers want so on the consumer side one thing we have on our roadmap is an unsecured credit card we want to support customers as they go through their journey as they kind of enter the journey they're trying to build credit once their credit is in a certain stage we want to be able to support our brand partners and our customers to be able to offer them an unsecured credit card to them. Obviously, that's a much bigger market. If you think about kind of unsecured credit card, card market, is about seven hundred million cards in circulation across, Amex, Mastercard, Visa, Discover, etc. Secured credit cards is only six million cards, roughly in circulation. And so, you know, it's still a very very early thing. And you know, when I share that one hundred fifty million of Americans are financially at risk, one third of consumers are subprime. You know, it tells you that the market opportunity for secure credit cards are still very, very large. Right. Yeah. You know, another statistic I read the other day was 49 million Americans are considered unscorable at this point. They can't even get a score if they wanted to. And so for us, we want to continue to focus on that. But we know that at some point there's going to be demand from our customers to kind of service to kind of that next generation as their credit builds up. Right. So that's one area. And then on the commercial side, I think the commercial and secure charge card, we're gonna continue investing in new features within that product construct, not necessarily, we wouldn't be jumping into lending, for example, like immediately. We're really focus on that com- commercial charge card construct. Right, that makes sense. Okay, last question. I wanna
0: sort of get your perspective here on the, the future of embedded finance. I mean, I was reading uh, an article in Forbes by Dave Birch, someone I've been following for many years, he just basically said, embedded finance is going to take over banking because people want to, they don't necessarily want to go and have a bank. They just want to have the, the services that a bank provides, provided by other brands potentially. And so obviously, you know, you've got a vested interest here, but I'd love to get your perspective
1: on where do you think this is going in the, in the medium to long term? Yeah, I don't see it as so black and white that like, hey, all financial products at one point will be delivered by brands. I think bank will always play a role, I think, at least in the foreseeable future in the consumer's lives. So this is all about kind of time horizon. My view is you're going to have major brands that, you know, will take over a portion of the financial services in your life, a portion, Mm -hmm. not all right? So, you know, if you kind of even think about, you know, I was just other day going to Whole Foods to buy some groceries. And obviously, they're part of Amazon, and Amazon has this card and this whole ecosystem around Amazon Whole Foods, and, and more and more of that, right, Amazon Prime. And so you may want to then open an Amazon card, so that you can spend at Whole Foods, you can spend at, you know, all your Amazon purchases. And so you're starting to kind of own like a segment of like the consumer's lives but is that going to basically say hey i'm also going to move my bank from you know wells fargo b of a to amazon one day I, i don't see that in the for future foreseeable future i do think that they will own where the consumer plays right if the consumer is going to the supermarket if the consumer is buying on amazon then i think financial services will follow where they do their activities day to day Mm -hmm. but is it going to be kind of like you know brands take over and banks go away i i just don't see that in, in at least in my lifetime i do think that you know it's like if you look at kind of the b2b use case if your b2b platform let's say you are working with a platform that deals with independent contractors and these independent contractors you know, need to get you know stipends or get paid on like kind of a real time basis. Will you use a platform that basically pays them on a real time basis versus kind of maybe going through a bank? Yeah, maybe. So it's all about kind of where the activity that the person or business actually is is taking place, and that's where I think financial embedded financial products will take hold. But I think you know, general kind of financial health. I think you know, banks will still be there. Yes, there will be neo banks and there will be a better user experience with neobanks. But the reality is these big banks are spending billions of dollars on their own modernization of the user experience. And so that alone won't be you know, the competitive advantage. It's really going to be where the consumer or the business does their activity day-to-day, and that's where you embed financial services to be the most sticky. I think that's
0: a great place to end it. Roy, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. It's a fascinating Fascinating company you're building and uh, let's keep in touch. Thanks again. Thank you, Peter. If you like the show, please go ahead and give it a review on the podcast platform of your choice and be sure to tell your friends and colleagues about it. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.